This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world. Welcome to today's podcast. Uh, today we're talking about facts and fallacies of sprint training. Today we're joined with, of course, Louis Simmons, and we have a former D1 player, Brad Hera, here. Um, Lou, I'd like to start off the podcast by reading out some statistics on 40-yard sprint times uh, from 2013 and 2014. Uh, in 2013, 157 of the 203 players are as fast or slower than they were in high school, according to their claim 40 times. The average uh, college football player is nearly a tenth of a second slower um, after four to five years in college strength conditioning program as he was when he entered that program. 93 players ran a sub four or five uh, second 40 yard dash time in high school. By the time they finished college, just 40 players were uh, capable of breaking um, the four or five second mark. In 2014, for the second consecutive year, um, a comparison was done and of the 199 players who reported a 40 yard dash time to rival their scouts while in high school, 149 of them are as fast or slower after three to five years of development um, of college strength training. The average college football player entering the NFL draft is nearly a tenth of a second slower in the 40-yard dash than he was in high school. So what is, in your opinion, the reason for this, and have you any thoughts? Um, yes, I have thoughts. Um, basically, it's poor weight room training. The coaches don't have enough experience truly in the weight room. I, I realize this by the fact that they're afraid to train the two ends of the spine, the neck and the lower back. That tells me they're afraid. They don't do any deadlifting, which is uh, the greatest, uh, to me, exercise for speed that there is. Um, many people use this for sprinting, uh, world-class sprinters, so it has to work for football. Um, a second reason, they run them too much. You know, football, if I recall, is four plays to make 10 yards. And, but yet they'll run bleachers, they run gassers, they run miles. And so when you do too much um, um, aerobic training, it affects anaerobic uh, abilities. Uh, if you over uh, oxidize the body, then it won't. The muscles don't contract as fast. Thus, you run slower. Um, during your whole time here at Westside, have you ever trained an NFN athlete for the combine? And if so, what were the results obtained, and how did you train them? Yes, I trained about a dozen. I didn't want to, but I was basically forced to. Uh, the first one was a five-year senior from Oklahoma State. He came here weighing 295 pounds. He was six foot five and ran a five four forty. Uh, the agent said, "If I could take a tenth off, he'll play," and he did. He signed with St. Louis, but I had him twenty one days. At, but in twenty one days, he weighed three hundred and eight pounds. I put thirteen pounds on him, and in uh, in Indianapolis, he ran a five one forty. That's when I realized how simple it is. It's the large men need absolute strength. Large men can't do as many push ups, or chin ups, or pull ups as little people because they're absolute. Relative strength is lower than a smaller person. So I worked on their max strength is what they they desperately needed. Um, on the other end of it, I averaged around three tenths in two months. These were all linemen, um, def uh, uh, all linemen, no smaller players except one. And uh, his name was John Kerr. He was a freshman of the year at in the Big Ten and at Indiana and then transferred to Ohio State. He signed with Minnesota. He went there with a 4.6240 and a 38 vertical at 237 pound again linebacker. He got cut because he got injured, 
So he came to uh, back to Columbus, and um, he worked with me. And we w he went to Houston at the same two th uh, thirty-seven body weight, ran a four-four-two in Chuck Taylor's, and a forty-four vertical, and had uh, one of the fastest cone drills in America. And we never did any lateral work because of the way we squat and pull, uh, we push out and not downward. That's the proper way to do it. So it builds uh, instant lateral speed. That's my experience uh, so far. And I try to avoid them now. <laughs> um, in dealing with these NFL athletes for the combine and, and collegiate athletes, what's the biggest weaknesses you see when they come in the gym? And uh, what are the exercises that you put them through to overcome them? Uh, posterior chain. You know, my, my friend of mine, Buddy um, Morris, Morris uh, for years I've known Buddy. He's been a, a top coach for 25 years in college and now the NFL. And all the biggest word that I hear out of his and everyone else's mouth is posterior chain. Problem is they don't know anything about the posterior chain. Every athlete comes here, they have weak hamstrings, weak glutes, weak hips. Um, so when they come here, I don't have to do anything. I recognize the problem. So immediately, instead of having to evaluate them for a month, I put them on exercises to build these uh, proper um, hip muscles and the glutes and the hamstrings. Inverse curls, glute ham raise, stand-up leg curl, band curls, wide box squats, Sumo deadlift uh, is one of the major ones. Um, good mornings for high reps, uh, light weights. We don't use real heavy weights and a lot of abdominal work. Um, too many of these athletes are too fat. Look at them on a football field. They got fat banging out of their shirts. It looks retarded. And uh, these, are, these are 18, 22-year-old kids, and they're fat. At Ohio State, they call them slobs, and I guess that's a good reason to call them that. They, but why can't you have 350-pound muscular players on the field? You don't need to have fat players on the field. Fat doesn't do anything. Uh, muscles do. Uh, do you feel, from your experience, uh, especially dealing with NFL strength coaches, that um, they're too afraid to actually do what they know they're supposed to do, and that they're um, they've been held back by higher management? Uh, yes, I believe that is true. I can't blame it on the strength coach because, again, you they're saying that they're what they are. They're afraid to hurt a player in the weight room. But uh, if anyone has time, let's look up the statistics of injuries on a football field and the statistics of injuries in the weight room. It, the weight room is minuscule. It's a, just a percent of what it is in, on a football field. So this makes no sense to me. If you put 11 strong kids on a, on a football field and 11 weak kids, 11 weak kids are going to get hurt. And that's the way it is. You see all these enormous ACL uh, injuries, um, knee injuries, hamstring pulls. Why? Why, were they, why are they doing this? Uh, because they don't train the posterior chain. Um, if they did inverse curls during the week, you know, the Russian weightlifters would do 600 um, glute ham raises a month for maintenance. I suggest this is what they do. During season, I wouldn't use many barbell exercises, but they would belt squat, inverse curl, glute ham raise, um, uh, reverse hypers, lots of ab work. That's how, and lots of jumping. I, I believe you should jump about 80 jumps a week. This was what Dr. Verfershansky did for depth jumps, which I don't believe I use weighted jumps, ankle weights, weight vests, um, kettlebells, and so forth. That formula would be uh, called uh, momentum impulse formula. Um, I'd like to bring Brad in here for a second. And if Brad, if you could tell us about your experience of training and um, where you got to and what are your thoughts on strength conditioning for sprint training? Um, uh, when I was playing, um, I saw a shift uh, from slower play to t more tempo type offenses. So the strength and conditioning had to adapt to it. Um, we get into a lot more uh, running gassers. They cut the times down, but I mean, it was still 
a lot of distance, a lot of 110s. So uh, I just wanted to how how would you how would you train for a tempo offense with without doing a lot of endurance running? Uh, regardless of distance, even a marathoner must become stronger. If you take a 5K race, and uh, that approximately takes 2,500 steps. If I make a person stronger so their ground force is greater and ground contact less, I could take one hundredth of a second off each step. That would account for 25 seconds in a 5K race. So you had to become stronger. How would I make a quick tempo? I have. Um, my friend Sal Melosi uh, with the Jets was practicing this a long time ago when I, when I told him about it. Basically, if I had a football team, their practice scrimmages would be 40-second uh, rest the first week. The second week, 37 and a half. The, four, the third week, 35. Then I would wave back to 37 and a half. The next week, 35. The next week, 32 and a half. Then I'd wave back to 35, go 32 and a half, 30, 27 and a half. Until I get down to, let's say, an optimal time period between plays of 25 seconds. That's how I would do it. I would use max strength. You know, I watch all these conditions you're talking about, Brad, yet they got to constantly platoon players in and out because they get exhausted. How could that be? I'll tell you how it is. Again, too much aerobic training affects anaerobic. It, this football is, is anaerobic. It is, is a, um, a four, to second, four to seven second play in college, slightly faster than the pro, and then with a 40 second rest. It's interval training. You have to go back out and have um, dynamic endurance. Every play, you have to be as powerful as the first. Um, and this gets uh, me into weight training, too. Uh, there are a lot of coaches afraid of max effort. I can ask the top coach who reads a lot. He'll tell me max effort is the greatest method of strength training. I 100% agree. And I said, well, coach, do you do it in the weight room? No. It makes no sense. It's like a boxer telling you everything leads with a jab. So when he gets in a fight, he never uses a jab. It's, a, it's the same thing. Um, if they had proper weight training background, they wouldn't be afraid to have their, 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 coach, their players do max effort work. Anyhow, the body shuts itself down. A child could do max effort work. The first time I asked, if I asked you, Brad, when you were eight years old and the girl next door challenged you to a race, did you race 80% or as fast as you could go? You went as fast as you could go. If the girl next door challenged you to a weightlifting contest, did you lift 80% of your best or maxed out? You maxed out. You did not get hurt. At that, when you're younger, even, you know, your bones and ligaments and tendons are more pliable. That's why a child can jump out of a tree and not get hurt. But a six-year-old man jump out of a tree breaks both legs. Lou, uh, touching on the topic you're talking about, from reviewing all the emails we get and looking at strength coaches, what they do, they seem to love gassers, and they have a, an opinion that you've got to run faster to get faster. Um, but can you explain to people the speed barrier and um, how they'd overcome this rather than just running? Yes, Tom. Uh, the speed barrier is a term used for basically track and field. Or, or a football player. They actually talk about a football player that grew up playing football and all he did was run. At a, after a period of time, he can't run any faster. His body's basically governed. It was like a Mack truck. It's just governed to run 62 miles an hour, never any faster. The only way you can run faster is to stop all this running and do other activities. Um, uh, uh, strength, um, um, non-strength directed exercises like barbell lifts and, and jumping has no effect on coordination or technique. You have to use these exercises to become a faster runner. Uh, one of the last guys I had, he came up from Houston. He was cut by, uh, he never made the team down in Houston because he's too slow. This is a huge, he's a 350-pound guy. He came up, spent three months, 
and uh, went back to Houston and made the team because he was uh, he picked up his running speed. Uh, we did a lot of power walking with sleds, not running. Uh, whenever you do for uh, um, um, acceleration, you use 20% of your body weight. But basically, we use heavy weights where he developed maximum force on each step. Um, the football players always give me feedback. They like to go 60 yards at a time, normally at least 10 trips. Uh, if a player was out of condition, we used a prowler. Uh, I don't like a prowler much because I think it takes too much out of the athlete more than it helps him. But we would push a prowler for 10 seconds all out, and and then uh, every 30 seconds they had to push it back and forth, and that's how we built their conditioning that way. Maximum resistance is how you build endurance on a football field. After all, you're not when you're just running, you're moving your body weight. But how about when you got to collide with a man that's your same size? It's a lot different. So that's why uh, we train fighters the same way. We don't train fighters with five pound weights. We have a 170-pound fighter. He has to he has to exercise 170 pounds. Yes, Tom. Um, when a lot of coaches make the argument that max effort takes a lot out of their athletes, and we'd agree with that within the in season, but in the off season they can pretty much st uh, follow a Westside template. Would you agree with that? And that uh, when they're during the in season, that if they focus more on dynamic effort movements, that it's more beneficial to them than doing all three. Yeah, during the season, my skill players, I would even, I would have them do belt squatting and stuff. I wouldn't put a bar on their back, but um, you know, I know football is a grueling sport, but you have to cut some of the running out if you want to pick up these forty times just going backwards year after year. It's it's just insane. It's just happening. There's no reason for this whatsoever. Um, does that answer your question? Uh, just say for if I was a strength coach and uh, I want to bring in my football players, um, uh, put them through a workout. How fast should it go through and how long should it last? Okay. Uh, if you watch our my jumping book, and in it I have an explosive power training DVD. Um, it shows two people, one of my strongest females, uh, man, this is an extraordinarily strong female, 775 squat at 165. And an, and, a, and the fellow in the video, world record holds the time, 905 squat at 181. Um, well, they do 10 doubles every 40 seconds. They use, um, she used... Uh, Two, see, 240, and he used 315. And um, after that, then they went immediately to the deadlift, and they did six doubles in the deadlift every 30 seconds. So that's 16 plays uh, with dynamic, where force equals mass times acceleration. Um, so when are you going to be on the field for 16 straight plays? And then they go, so what I would do, that's how I would train them. Then they would go and do direct hamstring work, uh, either the inverse curl or glued hams, the stand-up blade curls or some band curls, some reverse hypers, some abs, and send them out the door on the football field. This only takes 35 minutes. If you're good at calculating, I believe the squat workout took eight minutes, um, uh, 10 sets times 40 seconds, and then um, six doubles in the dead if every 30 is only three more minutes. Surely you've got that kind of time. I watch people in major weight rooms go, and I watch the player just by just by viewing them. They'll pick up a barbell once about every ten minutes. This is ridiculous. One thing I feel really bad about weight training in college, when uh, Brad, when you went on a football field, you had your ankles taped, you had a mouthpiece, you had a helmet, or something. But in the weight room, there's no uniform at all. Uh, I believe they should wear either strongman shorts or grew breeze, something for protection, where you have no chance. I've never heard an athlete in my gym. That's one of my big pet peeves. Even track people, because then they leave, they get hurt. This is one of my big pet peeves. If this weight training so dangerous, how come I don't hurt them? But yet I sent them to a track, track club, a high-ranked track club, and one of them actually got fat, which makes no sense, and this really aggravates me. To, <laughs> to 
follow on with that, I think that leads into uh, track pretty good. If, why is there so many injuries in track and pr- uh, predominantly shin splints and fractures? Overuse. You know, why did they run so much? Why does 100, you know, um, if you look at, let's look at Webster's uh, definition of a sprint. If you don't know what it is, it's to run as fast as possible in a short distance. So why did they run miles for a sprint? How much endurance do you need to run 160 meters, 100 meters, or 200 meters? Very minimal. But yet they want to do all this interval work. You know, it, it's called accumulation cycle. You have accumulation then in, uh, in track and field, it came from basically track and field where you do normal sex, numerous exercises in the beginning of a season. Then you would cut out a few more directed towards track, um, and that's called um, um, uh, um, accumulation um, transformation. And then, um, and then uh, basically uh, you go, and that's when you become more of a track person. So, but in uh, here at Westside, you only have a tr- uh, accumulation phase once. Why start the whole thing back over? Every year they start the whole program back over, which makes no sense. Uh, a friend of mine, I know a lot of fighters, and um, so these high school wrestlers went to his MMA club up in Detroit. Um, they and they practice uh, judo, jujitsu, sambo, uh, everything there. And then, so next year, we went back to wrestling, and the coach was amazed because they came back better shape than he left. But that's how you should come back. And the coach asked him how, and he said because he went to the MMA club and they practiced their art um, for the whole for the whole time between wrestling season. Well, everyone else comes back in their gas. Uh, Brad, when you came, when you play football your your junior year and you come back your senior, you got to start all over. First thing you do, you actually detrain. They overtrain you, uh, and so you're totally exhausted. And what you get exhausted is when you get hurt. You lose motivation through fatigue. So if you lose motivation or any psychological um, problems you may have over this, it affects your uh, training ability. So you got to be careful. Uh, you need to get in shape, stay in shape. Athletes cannot have time off. They cannot have time off. Students can take vacation. An athlete can never take one. Just by simply changing the exercise or the activities. You know, in recent years, a lot of top football players, they'd actually go to an MMA camp or they would do some other type of training during the off season. They didn't quit training. They stayed in shape. So, uh, you know, Rice is a good example. The guy played for years because he's always in shape. James Harris is another guy. See this guy on video. This guy's a freak. But he stays a freak. He just ain't a freak during football season. He's a freak all year long. In your opinion, um, especially the higher level athletes, how long does it take for their training to start regressing if they stop? If an athlete would stop training, they'll take a break. How long? Two weeks. Two weeks. They claim you'll lose uh, flexibility, dexterity, mobility, uh, or strength. It starts in two weeks. The higher class you are, the faster you'll lose it. Um, back to training for sprinters. A lot of coaches are so worried about putting weight on their athletes. Uh, can you go over what sport-specific mass is and um, how you would train uh, athletes and how... Can you give an example of um, how you develop, a, just say, a 100-meter sprinter? I'll give you an example of what I did with a 100-meter sprinter. He was Big Ten indoor sprint champion. His name is George Nicholas at Ohio State. And in the 100 meters, he wanted to go to the Olympic trials. Um, that was his dream, to make the Olympic trials in the 100 meters. He ran 1047. High State track coach at the time, several years ago, said George would never run faster because I had their top shot putter. I trained him. Uh, the shot putter shoots through 70-foot 10. But uh, so he said, George will never run faster. So I got George. I said, George, you come to me. I'll make you run faster. I had George nine weeks, and he ran 10.17. He 
Now, neither did they ever ask me how I trained Kevin at through 7010, nor how I trained Georgie through who ran 1017. And, but what I did with him, he did, he came in and he powered up with us. He did max, max effort squatting deads. Um, we even, he still did a few power cleans, which I'm not too big on, but it's a good exercise. Um, he did a lot of power walking with the sleds at the time that ice kinetic power rack he used. And we did tons of reverse hypers, uh, in, uh, glued hams on him. And that's, that's what we did. We made him stronger. Thus he ran faster. There's only, there's only one way you, a man could run faster after you perfect technique. You have to become stronger and more explosive. Running is not going to do it. Like one of the top authorities on strength overseas said, uh, even a chicken can run if you chop its head off. Mm -hmm. You have to become, why do men outrun women? Because they're stronger. And you talk about mass specific force. Tom, you're bringing up this. This means um, mass specific forces. A bodybuilder will never run 100 meters because all that mass isn't specific to producing force on the floor because he weighs too much. Um, if you look at uh, Bolt, he's one of the most powerful people out there. He's six foot five, he's got very long levers, but he produces greater force touching the ground than smaller sprinters, that's why he can outrun them. Not only is he stronger pound for pound, he has a longer stride, he covers a race of 41 strides where most people 43 to 45. So has a huge advantage. If, um... uh, uh, and I also wanna bring up um, one of the, so how do you test mass specific force and if it's going up or down? Um, I've trained young track females and also trained Olympic medalists, two of them, but I trained young track females. As they, of course, gained muscular body weight, they were able to jump higher. Then I'm, I'm in. As long as they're jumping higher, they're producing greater force at that body weight. If they gain weight and jump less, then I know they're slowing down. This goes for any sport, uh, shop, any explosive shorts. Um, uh, like a shot put at any throwing events or sprinting events. If I was um, a coach, uh, would I be wrong and if I look at just say someone like Usain Bolt or someone like a top athlete and I use that as my model to try to build my athletes upon that, is that a good approach to, the, to training or not? To do what he did? No, to look at their figures, look at their body, to have a model athlete and to base, uh, to try if you can shape your athlete into that. That's what I've always done. I had Mo Robinson here, female, I mean, built like a rock. So when girls came in, I remember what Mo looked like, her glutes, her hamstrings, her abdominals, her upper back. So I always tried to mold my girls into Mo. A model athlete is just that, Tom. Uh, model sprinters, they're all fairly close to the same, you know. NFL linemen are gonna be the same dimensions, close to the same height, arm reach, hand size. Tight ends, that's all the same, right? It's all the same. So, yeah, I want to try to stick with the norm. I don't want to get an abnormal person. That's what Bolt is. Um, you know, you bring up a point here, Tom, I want to talk about. Michael Johnson ran straight up and down and choppy steps. That's how the East German women ran years ago. Um, and then Bolt, you know, he's got these enormous body size. So neither one of them are uh, prescribed to be great for the sport. But they're the fastest humans in the world from 100 to 400. So what does that say? They produce greater strength and force than the other people. They apply greater force on the track and minimal ground contact, that's how they do it. And in case you don't know, a top sprinter produces a thousand pounds of force every time he takes a step. Now, so if even Bolt taking 41 steps in a race, that's 41,000 pounds. My 1,000 pound squatter after a quick warm up only does 12,000 pounds of workout to squat a thousand. So which one's more dangerous? Cut out the running and do the lifting. I hope that makes sense. 
That's why you got so many injuries. They over, and you know the Jamaicans. Um, I'm writing a track book right now, and one of my sections is called uh, the Jamaicans: secret or system. It's no secret. It's a system they have. Um, one thing they do, they do a lot of spreading on grass so they eliminate the shin splints down there. They do a lot of, uh, Tom, as you well know, their training mirrors what we do. Uh, their strength coach came to see us. And all top people in the world, the Chinese, if you look at Chinese weightlifters, they train like we do. They just use different exercises because it's weightlifting, we're powerlifting. And then, um, but we train rugby like this. We're big in the top five rugby teams overseas. And so everybody, has, there's a system that's closely related. So I suggest you look at the Jamaicans and you follow it. I had one female here, 18 years old, um, the Jamaican coach, when he was here, she jumped on a 50 and a half inch box and he said he had no female could do that. Well, now she jumped at 18, she jumped on a, a 55 inch box. My, my wish is that she could go to Jamaica where she has top flight coaches and my other girls as well. Because all the power I'm making in the world, they're not putting it to the ground. Um, you know, in the very beginning, if you're going to be good at any sport, I think the Soviet Union led the way in sports. At, t at, at 10 and 11 years old was the first phase of, of training. First, you had a, a three years of preparatory, what's called a rule of three. We did, they did tumbling, played all types of game sports and everything. But at 10 and 11, you started your sport. And then that was a, and then um, 12 and 13, 14 and 15, 16 and 17. 18, 19, and 19 to 21, you were polished or you were done. You were heading to the Olympics or, you know, ability to get there or you were finished. So they took it in two-year segments, and they gauge you just like in school as you go from one, past one grade to the next grade. Over there in sports, they did the very same thing. So if you didn't pass, you know, they held you back. You, you were gone. Although there were some late bloomers, but for the most part, they didn't because their training was too sophisticated. Everyone here in America... Um, sets out and they they produce a guideline for their child's education right the mom dad says send you to college where the heck but no one does that in sports it's just random how they how you run through sports you know you got a lot of high school coaches never play football don't know anything about it i mean i never possess to say anything about sports i don't tell any coach how to coach any sport um but i do know power and strength um i often hear you talk about a, an american author called barry ross and um, he wrote a book, I think, Underground Secrets of Running. Um, what he writes about is very similar to what you do, and it's very similar to what um, the Jamaicans do, and everyone, it's, it seems to be a system. Uh, can you give your thoughts on Barry Ross's book, and would you recommend people would read that? I think it's some of the greatest 86 pages of print that's ever made for a track. Um, he trained um, Felix, and, and she was a freshman in high school. She was elite status at every characteristic of sprinting except strength. So she went to Barry Ross. And one of his major exercises he used on her was a deadlift. And as he, her deadlift grew, her sprinting grew. This is the key to sports, I'm telling you. I like the sumo because it's safe. It's not going to hurt anyone's back. You drive out, you work your glutes, hamstrings, and hips. That's what runs. So let's do it that way. And, uh, but the greater deadlifts, if my girls are greater deadlifts, they got the higher they jump. Uh, it's easy for me to take a track girl uh, and deadlift 350 pounds. That's that's just that's easy to do. This is track, not lifter. Um, a lot of people when they talk about sprint training, they often neglect the upper body. Um, how would you train the upper body for a sprinter? And do you think it's very important? Upper body is very important. You have to have a strong posture. If you lose posture, you slow down. So uh, you cannot lean too much or, or arch back or you have to keep a proper lean 
uh, for this is because, you know, Tom, there's two things to overcome when you run. The resistance is two things, air and gravity. So if you have problems, the coach sees the person run properly, they, they're using gravity to pull them down the track. 90% of the effort to run down a track is to overcome um, vertical force, only 10% horizontal. So what does that tell you? I'm all about technique. You need great technique, but you need great force to get your body back, overcome gravity. You have to be, that's why men outrun women. Uh, all you got to do is look at a top sprinter, male or female, and they're built like a rock that, because they are strong as they look. Um, ben Johnson, uh, parallel box squad, is 620 for two reps at 172. That's, that's a good, for any power lifter, that's good with no gear. I believe he did a 405 bench press too. Yeah, I think he did. And, uh, you know, one thing is it, it, what I do for sprinting is excite the central nervous system. And the day of a race, they sometimes would have him just bench. All I have to do is put you under a tremendous strain of any kind. Uh, sometimes my track people worry about it, but they find out no matter what we do, they run faster. <laughs> so uh, it, it, tra it translates. And you can do extreme workout every 72 hours. Small workouts every 12 or 24. So just remember that. Lou, if we can just go back. And if we start from uh, a kid, a child, um, and he wants to, or he or she wants to develop into a sprinter, um, and you talk about a three-year rule, could you give an overview of a life cycle from a child to um, high school to college to professional? How would you train them? What I would like to see is is have top coaches. You know, you, the young youngest people have to have the best coaches. If you start out wrong, you're going to fail. I've always said that a coach is like a bow. And the athletes are like their arrows. And, and if the bow is aimed wrong, the, air, the arrows or, the, or the, the players will never reach their goal. So you need a great coach, a great technical coach in the beginning, and a well-versed weight training coach. And first of all, it would be sled dragging, push-ups, calisthenics, um, games like uh, where to keep air uh, from being bored, uh, volleyball, swimming, uh, basketball, softball, all these types of sports. It's undirected, even soccer where it's undirected sport, the directions are undirected, where they become coordinated in all aspects of their body, being able to control their whole body. And, um, you know, I look at soccer as kind of a crazy sport, but I'm amazed at the things they can do in, 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 in another way. So they would do that. A lot of game playing where they learn uh, competition. They don't get, uh, you know, too uh, much anxiety over competitions because that's one thing you can't do. You can't be tight when you run. you got to free. You got to be nice and loose. So. And then. From progressing from a child then up to high school. Okay, well, one thing I would do, I would, I mean, they can start lifting weights at 10 years old. What I did with two wrestlers who became, um, at 10 years old, they would pull a sled up to a mile and a quarter in one workout. Lower body and upper body combined. These are 10-year-old wrestlers, about 110 pounds. And uh, so we use optimal weights on the sled, 25 pounds, 45 pounds, uh, sometimes 70 pounds. But... Um, and then they, but they became good high school wrestlers, went into college, and now they're both coaches. And so they use a lot of conditioning with the sleds to do that. All you got to do, Tom, is look at any old Soviet books, and what do you see in all these books? Sled pulling. Pull sleds. And you can, and as you well know, because you train fighters, a lot of upper body with sled work. We do a lot of things. I make them walk on tires, a lot of things like fighters do. Uh, that walking on soft surface or running in sand will build strong muscles. Uh, running on hard surfaces will build ligaments and tendons for more kinetic energy. So you have to do them both. But stay in a lot of soft stuff. Um, when would you start uh, implementing uh, maximum effort deadlifts, squats into their training? Well, you know, at, uh, 
I would start them young. I would start them at maybe 13 years old. I would start pushing them up because they're not, they're going to give out. They're just, if they're going to pull weight and it gets heavy, they just stop pulling. Again, like I said, a young child pulls as much as he can. You never see him get hurt. Their body will shut down. That's what the goji tendon does. It's in your body to shut down. Child's not going to, someone come over, one of the fighters come over and start choking me. I'm going to tap real fast. You know, they'll sit in there for, you know, Tom, for two minutes and get away. Me, I'm tapping. So that, that's my instinct to tap. Their inst- the human body has an instinct to stop if, it's, if it feels like it's going to get damaged. And you think it's very important to try and inhibit this at a young age so it uh, betters your training as you get older? Yes, that's why I like jumps. I do not like vertical jump. Vertical jumps just a test. If I want to build jumps, I make them jump on boxes and hard boxes. I mean, my girls jump on hard boxes. Come on, guys. If you scratch your shin, the world's not going to end. So you jump on hard boxes because people are afraid to jump up on boxes. And I can break inhibitions by making them jump on those boxes. But then again, you only want to try to max out maybe once a month. We uh, Three out of the four workouts are weighted resistance. It's shown in my jump books. Uh, like All types of kettlebells, weight vests, um, ankle weights, and combinations of everything. And that's how we get... One of our interns has jumped on the 63 and a half. And what's the volume for jumping for nothing? I like, uh, I followed Virgil Shansi's guidelines on depth jumps, uh, although we just jump up of uh, 40 twice a week for most people. Super athlete, if I had a tremendous male athlete here, um, uh, you know, that's ran track for five, six years at a high level, then he, he could maybe do 120. And, uh, optimal. Re- remember, uh, listeners, one word optimal, not minimal. That's going to get you nowhere maximal all the time, which most coaches do, and that's why your athletes are worn out and tired. Train optimally. Um, I'd like to, it's very interesting that you talk about Verkoshansky's um, depth jumps and how we don't do them anymore. Uh, can you tell the listeners why that is and why you think jumping up onto a box is uh, more pertinent to sports than doing jep, uh, depth jumps? Well, one of my track ladies uh, left here with no injuries at all, went to a major school, and ended up getting hairline fractures of the shins. It ruined her track career for that year. This is devastating to a young athlete, in, in my view. Actually had to transfer schools, and now she's doing great where she's got greater coaches. And um, But if you take a bottle, and I hold her three feet off the ground and let it go, it's going to break when it hits the ground. But yet I can use the same amount of force in reverse, force the bottle upward, land on the table, with hardly any force at all and land softly. When you do jumps, they say land softly. So um, it's called momentum impulse. It's a calculation I talk about in my books. And um, But I would rather put the force on the ground and get up onto the box than land. Because all you gotta do, you know, there's an old saying, it's, it's, it's not the fall, it's the landing that kills you. So they're very dangerous. Even Verfraschowski said they're dangerous. I noticed that a lot of people will um, put in depth jumps within the workouts. They'll do squats, they'll do, and then they'll go on and do depth jumps. But I do believe from reading his books, they were workouting themselves. They were workouting themselves. When you do depth jumps, you have to cut out the squats and pulls. And the reason I always stayed away from them because no one ever told me how many squats and pulls to cut out. And uh, Tommy, bring up a good uh, uh, um, example too of depth jumps. When a, a, an elite athlete at about 30 inches, if he jumps off a box and lands, and they do this, and I'm okay with this, um, you need to be able to squat two times body weight before you do any depth jumps, period. But if you jump down, that's going to build explosive power. When you start getting on a high box, 42, you know, over a meter, 42 and up, it builds absolute strength. 
The reason is when you jump off a small box and land, the automation phase is much quicker. It builds explosive power. When you jump off a high box, time the body reverses itself and springs back up, it builds absolute strength. And how would you incorporate uh, bounding into your jumping program? Uh, would you have a particular height of a box that they jump up and down and jump up onto another box again? Yeah, we normally use about 30. We jump down, and a lot of it we jump down into foam and up onto the second box. And again, it's a less impact. It builds strong muscles. Um, I could, We have a bell squat. We live in a bell squat, as you well know. If we put it in a bell squat and put um, soft plyo mats in there, and they do the on there, it builds the muscles. If we get them in there and they run in place on a hard surface, it builds the ligaments and tendons. So we got to do both, but we try to build, you know, strong muscles. I mean, every, in track everywhere you go, you run. You don't even walk back. You run. They want you to run back. <laughs> you know, on a football field, you never, you know. You know the thing about Max Effort? I'm going to ask you, Brad. On a, on a football field, if you didn't put Max Effort on a play, were you not sitting on the bench? It's Max Effort. Every play on a football field is Max Effort. And you're in a sprint. Uh, every time you sprint, you're running Max Effort. What is the – so why can't you do it for barbell? I don't understand it. I do know why, because they don't know what good form is. Everyone always asks me, like for football, why Why do you squat them wide? You don't play football out there. Well, you don't squat on a football field anyhow. But if you're going to waste your time, or I think invest your time squatting for football or any sport, use a wide stance. It builds the hips, the glutes, and the hamstrings, muscles that you do not touch um, when you're using a normal with stance. And Olympic squatting is absolutely pathetically terrible for you. Uh, every person that come here, I had two coaches come. They couldn't squat 95 pounds down to a box foul four in the last six inches because they're Olympic lifters. They have no glutes. They have no hamstrings. It's pathetic. It's Olympic lifting, unfortunately, is the worst um, sport in America for getting in the Olympics. We have no one can get on a team. So I don't know why football follows it. It's a mo You think it's a golf match. Football is a rock concert. Powerlifting is a rock concert. I want my people to squat and deadlift. Not Olympic lift because it's a waste. It's actually too fast. To produce force, things can be too fast. Objects of fast velocity produce small force. So it doesn't do any good uh, to do a lot of light power cleans. It's not going to work. It's better to use the same percent in the deadlift. 70%, 80%, you'll lift the bar, and the first pull is the same anyhow, but you lose some more weight, you get way stronger. So, um, if we go back a little bit. Uh, the younger you are, you start broad and you start narrowing in. You get towards um, high school, then you're going to move into college to pro. Um, the more mature an athlete gets in their sport and in their body, um, how specific should their weight training or strength training uh, come the higher level they are? I'd imagine you're going to rule out some exercises that do you no good and use exercises that give you the most. But uh, what, in your opinion, how would you do it? Yeah, you need, well, you, I think you need to go to basic what we do, basic squatting, deadlifts, you know, on boxes, deadlifts, um, rack pulls, very basic things. Uh, our training, I've followed track people, I've followed uh, power lifters, everyone that comes here, our ratio is only 20% for barbell, 80% spatial exercise. Yet our top, we have a phenomenal list, top, top 10 deadlift, 866. I mean, we have 22 people over 1,000 in a squat, 2 over 12, but we don't do any squats. So how could that be? You know, um, you need to do all spatial exercises because the body's not built the same. If you take a six-foot-tall girl in here and a five-foot-two girl, their limb length is totally different. So the same exercise will not work for both girls. So you got to do specialized exercises for the hamstrings, glutes, 
And that's what we do here. We constantly pick out the weakness of the athlete. That's why we don't get hurt. Why don't we have knee injuries or back injuries? We don't have any. And what do you say to a coach? Which, you know, is a question we get. Well, I've got 20 athletes. I've got 30 athletes. How can I do an individualized program for these athletes? How would you go about doing it if you're that coach? Yeah, there is no individual. You know, uh, you train it by percents. Uh, 50 to 60% with 25% band tension for squatting, for instance, in a three-week wave. And if I had a lot of athletes, I've told this before, they said, well, how can I run that many through? Have half of them do lower body and the other half do the upper body. The next workout, switch them. You don't have to have them all in your power rack squatting. Just have half of them. There's no rhyme or reason. You don't have to. It's not like us where it has to be time for a weekend contest. It doesn't matter. Weights or weights. You know, it doesn't matter what they do. So you could just have half your club benching or overhead pressing and the other half squatting or deadlifting. So, you know, you can run it easy like that. Short rest periods. Uh, how, how many days per week should one train the sprints, would you, would you think? And uh, if you're going to split it up between strength conditioning and sprint training, how many times a week do you think should be done? What's optimal, in your opinion? I'm thinking 8 to 10 if you want to add weights and sprinting combined. I'm thinking 8 to 10. You know, you can do a, a, a maximum workout every 72 hours. So if I did two, if I did four weight programs a week, uh, two for max effort and two for dynamic. And remember, uh, folks, max effort workout is actually the easy one because it's low volume. You work up as fast as you can to a top weight and you get out. You do a little bit of system work and you're gone. It's a dynamic workout that's where all the volume is. If you're a 600-pound squatter, you have to do 7,200 pounds of squats. You have to do um, um, basically 360 for 12 doubles, and so that adds up to 7,200 pounds. But if you work up to a 600-pound max squat, you might only handle... 3,000 pounds to get there. So if you look at it like that, see, the max effort's actually easier on you. But it's the greatest method of strength training, so you have to raise absolute strength. If anyone doesn't think so, I'll guarantee every track person became elite. They were stronger than they were when they were a child. And if strength doesn't work, why do you got a million strength coaches out there? Why not just fire them all? <laughs> if strength doesn't work, why do they got a job? Let's, let's just get rid of them all. Strength, strength's the key. The Chinese said without strength, you have nothing. Um, for uh, for the fighters, if, if I'm getting them ready for a fight, we'll start tapering towards the fight, we'll reduce some of the weight work, we'll go more sports specific. In track and field, it's very hard to do that because you've got so many events throughout the year. How would you taper towards an event and would you put different events in different category levels of when you're uh, leading to training towards it? I've always said I would probably break the track season up into three or four time zones where I would use delay transformation and I would only peak for the top ones. Everyone peaks at the end for the nationals, the worlds, but I would let even during the year, you know what, why do you only try to break a world record one time a year? It doesn't make any sense. We, we can break, a, in my sport, we break world records all the time. You know, it doesn't matter if it's January, July, December, it doesn't matter. So um, why not? They start to taper, and they do this easy training. All this, all this base work, what's it doing? It's not doing anything. It's building a, you know, um, aerobic conditioning. But if you're, you know, if you're a, even a marathoner, you're going to have to do strength work. Frank Shoulder, every time he ran faster, he was able to do more squats with 100 pounds, more repetitions. You know, and just think about a marathoner. Even a sprinter, even a marathoner has to sprint to the finish line sometimes. So you have to have everything. You have to have all different types of strengths. 
You need to read books and find out about fatigue, endurance, what, what happens, what's the signs of fatigue, you know, lack of motivation, illness, um, uh, things like this. So you need to see if your players are over fatigued. I've seen players go to the hospital. I've seen football players go to hospital a couple years ago, and I've seen track girls go to hospital a couple years ago from overtraining. Um, all you have to do, the simplest thing, they've got a, a mega wave machine that cost years ago, like $34,000. I proved a thing. I, I, I maxed out down in Columbus on a Friday and went to Cleveland on Monday, three days later, and I, my central nervous system was fine, just like I told them it would be, but they paid 34000 All you need is a hand odometer where you squeeze, and if you're able to um, keep the same kilogram force, then you're not overtrained. If uh, my track girl came in and she was two kilograms off, I, do, I need to cut her training back and check her heart rate and check her blood pressure. When those are normal, then training can resume. If she can't sleep, you know you're overtraining them. Anxiety. Got to slow them down. Um, when you have an Olympic athlete and they enter or they begin their Olympic training cycle, which is about four years, um, how would you break that up or would you just use the, the system you have in place? Because a lot of coaches we have will use linear periodization, which we all know is outdated doesn't work but they want to break it up into blocks uh, what's your thought on this and uh, how would you um, program uh, use program loosely but for Olympic training Lin linear periodization as you said Tom is a total disaster I did it for 12 years till 1982 broke my lower back the second time then I went to the Soviet training and I used weight periodization if just like sprinting everything if I'm going to sprint I'm going to sprint I'm not going to run at 75% that's not sprinting you're wasting your time so I use weight periodization. Of a 400-pound squatter would train in three weeks with some band tent, 25%. The first week, 200 for the doubles, then 220, and then 240. That's 4,800 pounds of squatting. Um, in other words, if I had a team and they wanted my players, a, a soccer team, squat 400, I'd run that all year long. I'd just maintain a 400-pound squat. But for a, a young a person 18 years old going to 22 years old trying to raise their strength, um, what our system is, so every 50 pounds, you do 600 more pounds of squatting. So it's easy to go, like a 500 squatter, for instance, would do, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, 250, 275, 300. That's 6,000 pounds of work. That's 1,200 more. For every 100 pounds of squat, it would be 1,200 pounds of work. And that's how I would run it. But our system is, I have a speed day on Friday. Friday and Saturday is dynamic. Max, it's it's um, four sequels mass times acceleration. We use submaximum weight, you have to live in maximum acceleration. Either explosive strength at 30 or 40 percent, or speed strength from 75 to 85. All right, so every every week I know how fast my athlete is. On Mondays and Wednesdays, there are max every days. I max them out. I know how strong they are inside this week. Both days they do tons of um, body or hypertrophy work for specific you know groups. Track track and, and weightlifting is the same. It's all the back of the body, you know. Uh, and so we build them up. I, get, I take tons of time to build all this muscle mass where it counts, not where it doesn't count. So in a week cycle, every week, year after year, I know how fast my people are, how strong my people are, and if they lack uh, sufficient muscle strength in some muscle group. That's why we don't have injuries, and we constantly make progress. Do you have any standards that you expect uh, anyone who trains here in track and field to reach? Just say an entry level if they can jump this high, they can deadlift this much, that gives you a good indication of what their capabilities are, or for 
coaches out there, if they've got athletes to give them some goals to aspire to? Well, I, I'm, you know, I guess if you're talking about high school. Um, high school to college. Let's say college. Well, if they came here right at college, bare minimum for women would be 42-inch box jump, uh, men 50. You know, that'd be minimum. And I'd work from there. I'd constantly push those box jumps up. Because, like I said, again, when strength goes up, the box jumps will go up. You said uh, earlier on the podcast, the sled, how important it is. Can you uh, go over uh, how you use sleds? And I know we always say here, never run with a sled, but you do run uh, some distances with it. And can you explain that? Yeah, if you're going, uh, if you look at running um, and, and, and um, the Underground Secrets of Faster Running by Barry Ross, no, I'm sorry, another book, um, if you want to be a sprinter, I believe. He talks about the, the Jamaicans, and they concluded um, that you need 65% of a race is acceleration. You know, now Bolt and a few, and Gay and a few of these people do 70. Uh, if you, I saw a documentary on, on Ben Johnson, and first he could accelerate for 30 meters and everybody passed him, then 35, then 40, and he finally got to 70. No one was passing him at that point. So what I do is, uh, we'll just, we'll break it down easy. I call it, we'll say 70 meters. I work 70% of the time on acceleration. What it takes to build acceleration, which is strength, and running with 20% weight sleds, okay? And preferably on grass if you can do it. Um, then... 18% of a race is maintaining top speed and 12% is deceleration. So what I really try to do is work on maintaining top speed by pulling heavy sleds, um, normally body weight on most surfaces for uh, 60 yards, for 60 seconds. And then what you do, you'll measure how far they went, have them do a next uh, trip and try to exceed the distance in 60 seconds. Every time you exceed that distance, you're re you are reducing deceleration. I've seen this work over and over and over, and um, that's that's how we do it. So basically, you know, outside of the coach teaching them how to drive, how to leave the blocks, and how to you know maintain the drive phase, I concentrate seventy percent of the time on acceleration. Of course, this is going to be for football. Football is all acceleration, and um, and then um, the maintenance. And like I said, I try to take the eighteen turn into twenty twenty two. If I could be like Bolton and turn into, you know, no no deceleration, I'll tell you win races. You don't get outranity and your opponents slow down and you win the race. It's that you're going faster. You can only maintain top speed for so long. So that's what I tried to do. That's how I would do it. Football, everything would be short. 5, 10. Why? Well, 40 yards is retarded for football. I know they got their standards for the NFL Combine. I'm sure it makes a lot of money when ESPN turns in and watches everybody. But 40 yards is a highlight film on ESPN. Every play is, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust. Basically in a pros, you know what I mean? Come on. And how much weight uh, would a person using a sled? Did you start, do you get a, just say like you have a maximum deadlift, would you have a maximum sled pull to base percentages off? Or how would you work that? I, I do the heaviest. I don't really max it out, but like uh, I would probably, if you could use five plates or 225 pounds on a Monday and do your trips, maybe 10 trips for well-conditioned athletes, then I would drop it down to uh, three plates. So Monday would be building max strength in the muscles for running, and then Wednesday would be building strength endurance. I would, I would cut the rest periods down somewhat and, and increase the trips to maybe up to 15. Then on Friday, they would only use a plate and a quarter or so, and that might be my, my sprint day. And I'd cut them down with long, longer rest periods, make sure they adequately rest in between each set, and maybe do six to eight sprints. That's how I do it. So heavy coming down. In America, everyone goes light going up, but you really should do the heaviest and go downward. 
to faster and faster and faster if that's your if that's your goal. You don't want to use more weight to get slower, slower, and slower. Uh, another thing I noticed from being here, uh, you get these individuals strong very quickly, and I've seen people change in three weeks, which has been amazing. But I've also noticed that they've developed so much strength, so much power, that it affects their technique, and that this is something that's overlooked. Could you discuss on that? Yes, I mean, I don't care. I had two top throwers, 70 10 shot putter, and a 212 discus thrower. And when they were here and trained, uh, their coach uh, never wanted to do any throwing. I said, you got to throw because you're going to lose your coordination. So after, I would make them strong. I mean, eight, eight, you know, 825 squat in gym trunks, 550 roll bench with the balls, stuff like this. They would go out west, and I'd call them up. And I, I, they're after seven to 900 throws. i say, how's your throws? they go, they suck. And I go, why? Because no weight training. You, as strength goes up, uh, technique has to go with it. You know, as you mature and get bigger and bigger, your body's going to change. So uh, I tell everyone, you know, I mean, that, that my goal is for me to, uh, I, I had a track girl here, and I said, I wish you had a top flight track coach. Because what I felt I was doing to her, she should have been running away faster. And until she ever got, then when she got in a top coach, right, that's when she started to realize the potential of her strength. The strength means I can be the hardest punch in the world and miss your jaw every time. What good's it going to do me? None. So you got to have, a, a, you have to have a good technical coach. I'm all about technique. Uh, we have fighters here, and Tom, you 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 can bear me out. I mean, we got track girls who are stronger than the fighters, but the fighters they kill us in a fight because they know how to fight for ten freaking years. But if they didn't know how to fight, I wouldn't be afraid of them. But unfortunately, they do know how to fight. I mean, they're weaker than, you know, it's crazy. So it's all, but it's all technique, but you got to match the two. And that's what we try to do with the fighters, bring their strength up. Matt Brown's a good example. Um, made a big difference with Matt Brown working on his strength. And I, I felt the biggest thing that helped us was when all the coaches are on the same page. The strength coach, uh, from the fight aspect, the jiu-jitsu coach, stand-up coach, everyone, because we had Doreen, we had Adam, myself, we're all on the same page, and that um, helped the athlete. Surely it's going to be the same for track and field, that the strength coach and the technique coach are on different levels or different wavelengths. It's not going to benefit the athlete. I know a lot of times, I heard this in high school, a lot of fathers call me and vent their frustrations, and then it goes on and on and on, because they'll get a kid, strongest kid on the team, by far, that trains west side. They'll go to school, and then instead of staying at home and training with the dad they want to train with the team and then they get weaker and weaker and weaker it doesn't make any sense it's a lot of jealousy like i said i've told people please get a good coach you know for your sport i i never said i know the basics of a lot of things but i don't know the the, the true meaning of, of running that it takes a top running expert and and um uh, but I, dr romanoff is a renowned running expert uh, he went to every school in the soviet union you go to and Dr. Romanoff said to me, he said, if he had a sprinter, I could make him go faster because I could make him stronger. I also said, if I had a sprinter, he could make him go faster because he's technically sound. You need both. Anyone thinks, anyone thinks you know, if anyone thinks you know weights better than us, they're just absolutely crazy. Because we broke well over 100 world records, men and women. We dominate. We know weights. I know power. I mean, it's evident by just occasionally having people come here and jump on the 63 and a half inch box. It's an intern. Bring me 10 athletes. I'll jump on the 70. Bring me 10 athletes. Well, what I think is crazy is when you look through the data, and anyone can go out there and Google through this, but you look at butt winners, 
you look at Charlie Francis, you look at um, is it Glenn Ro who's the the trainer for Jamaica? Glenn Mills. Glenn Mills. Um, Louis. There's all common denominators with the way they all train. Dipko or what? The uh, Russian. Uh, Valentin Dukul. Yep. All these people. If you look at, it just goes down to that. There's two ways to train. There's correctly and incorrectly, and that's it. And um, I think it's crazy that there's so many similarities, but it all comes back to the Soviets. That uh, uh, Glenn Mills spent, I think, the three to six months down in Mexico in the 80s learning from the Soviet coast, brought that over, bought winners, went over to Jamaica with all this. So I think it's... I've studied it for 33 years. years. And still to this day, people don't read it. They don't right. read these books. Yeah. Um, have you any uh, books that you recommend people to read or any authors? Uh, I think a few books. Uh, again, uh, Underground Secrets of Running Faster by Barry Ross. It's a, it's a very inexpensive book, and it's full of knowledge. Read the, don't read a book one time and throw it on the shelf. Read the book over and over and really understand what this book's telling you. A second book is um, The Science of Sports Training by... Um, Thomas Kurt. Yes, Thomas Kurt. All right, and then The Practice of Science of Strength Training. I think those are three books that would help people greatly. I also think in terms of... Uh, not to plug our own book, but your explosive strength development for jumping that mm. comes with a DVD, but that has everything, you, or I think is a great fundamental start for any coach. Yes. Um, and I, I like to go back on, because we get a lot of questions on training kids and children, and I think the biggest problem that I've seen, and I know the two, I showed you a thing with James Harrison, is that in competition, everyone's a winner nowadays, and that's greatly affecting how kids train, because win or lose, they don't have that drive. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you want to say about that or on um, kids starting out to train? I, I think one thing, a big mistake in America, too many parents put their children into the sport that they want them in instead of asking the child what sport they want to be in. In my book, uh, uh, Spatial Strength for All Sports, I talk about this, about children, bringing children up into sports. You've got to find out what the child wants to do. If he doesn't really want to do it, he's not going to be very good at it. He might be a violent child to put him in hockey or, or wrestling or something like that. If he's not a violent child, put him on a tennis court. You know, find out what he really wants to do. You know, something, and something he has aptitudes for. You know, it's not so fun to lose every time. You know, it's a whole lot more fun to win. So try to pick something you can actually win. And um, I, I think it'll make a big difference. The sports changed my life entirely. I was very introverted. And then um, once I started to excel at sports, it brought me out of my shell to the point finally when I had some notoriety and I had to talk to people every day, that then I'd come out of my shell and I'm able to talk. I wouldn't. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Okay. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, close up on? Or you want to go over anything else? Um, I just suggest uh, one thing: all sports. If you get on the internet, like Tom, you said, don't get on there and look at Joe Smo. I will not read an American author. I'm sorry. If American authors list this, there's not one I'll read. Except Barry Ross. Except Barry Ross. Um, and then, uh, but I, I go to the top. I go, I watch the Jamaicans and what they do. And then weightlifting. If I want, I'm writing a weightlifting book. And my weightlifting book parallels what the Chinese and the Soviets do and the Bulgarians. And because exactly what we've done all these years. And get on the internet and watch what they do and pick up some tips. And I think you're going to go places. They explain why they do things. Again, like I, I said, uh, I'm writing a thing, a Jamaican secret or... Um, System. It's a. They have a system. They don't have spatial drugs. They don't like the Chinese. 
you know, there's nothing special. They work hard. They know how to do it. There's no wasted effort. Tom, as you well know, and like I said about ball players, when they come here, I already know, Brad, you're one of them. You, you know, your hips and glutes and hamstrings are subpar. I, I didn't even have, I could just, I didn't have to guess it. I know when you come here, it's it's there. So right away, I immediately start working on these, uh, you know, in, in sufficient areas, and then they make fast progress. That's how I could take three-tenths off over a dozen people in two months. It's a joke. I, I went to NFL Combine a few years ago and uh, talked about it. And says, what well, I do. I'll say I'll never do it again because it's too easy. I get no enjoyment out of it all. It's easy. It's too easy. So I don't get any enjoyment out of it. It's not even a challenge. And do you think it's just ignorance or that people just don't want to do the work, that they don't want to go back and – because we sell a lot of Russian manuals, and I hate to say a lot of them go out overseas. Not many Americans buy them. And Arrogance. It's, it's crazy. Arrogance. And considering the amount of phone calls we get from coaches who are getting paid a lot of money and don't know how to coach, and they still won't read these books. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I do feel sorry for some of them because they're babysitters. <clears throat> they're afraid to get somebody injured. But I think those famous philosophers, the road warriors, said it best. Desperate men do desperate things. In 1981, I broke my back, and it was diagnosed in A2. I knew it was broke. I didn't want to know. But at that point, late 81 is when I bought, started buying all these Soviet books because I was desperate. I had to find out what I needed. Um, I was already a national champion. Um, I was a lead in four-way classes at that point. And, um, you know, I was top 10 in every uh, squat, bench, deadlift. I could make top 10 and everything. And then I, but I, I, I was getting hurt, and I didn't know why. Well, after a year of owning these books, I found out what I lacked, science. Uh, I, like, I hate to repeat this because... Uh, but everybody gets an exercise science degree, but there's no connection between exercise and science in America, none at all. If you want your exercise science um, um, students to learn something, take them to a real gym and watch them live. We, we did a, a podcast with 35 grad students, two professors, an hour and a half later, and he couldn't answer one of my questions. I didn't ask impossible to answer questions. I asked simple questions. They couldn't answer one. And I suggest that they bought a couple of the books that we mentioned here. You, you got to learn the truth. And it's really injustice to uh, American coaches that this education system is so bad. Uh, touch on Dr. Romanoff for a second. He said a lot of times when he went overseas, he'd have to hold his mouth because the, the technique. Over of, here. Yeah. Of some coaches was just, he could not believe how bad they were and how, how little they knew, but yet they're in positions of power. Right. Yep. I asked him, I said, I said, you have to hold back and laugh sometimes? He goes, yes. And I mean, I do too. I just can't imagine. I can't believe how little some know. They need to know. And you know what? They can get mad at me. But you know what you owe to? You owe to your, um, you owe to your athletes. A coach has to, you know, he has to be the supreme being. If I've got a supreme athlete, then I have to get busy. And uh, Tom, you well know this. You see some of the guys are tremendously strong here. To get them there, we have to have advanced methods. Um, uh, as you, if you've already seen advanced methods in five years that you come, we constantly come up with something new. And we're coming up with a new product line called the Static Dynamic Developer. It will revolutionize strength, create, strength training in the world. And we always are on the top of something new because if you want to get higher, you've got to use better ways to do it. As you said, the answer is always in the gym. That's right. And that's why you've you got to take and break it down and... That's what a lot of people don't do. Uh, someone goes wrong or something happens, they don't break down where did it go wrong, how are we going to fix it. They just 
move forward without fixing anything. And that's a and that's how their next traffic gets hurt. Mm -hmm. you, you know, um, there's just too too many injuries. You know, in the NFL, there's just too many injuries, non-contact injuries. It doesn't make that means they're weak. That's why you get non-contact injuries. The big problem is too a lot of athletes become tranquilized. True. And when they don't. They only know what made them strong, and that's what they think everyone else should do. Yeah. That's a huge problem. A lot of ex-football players become strength coaches, and they just got a minimal amount of weight training. Sure, you know. Uh, I don't think people understand how complicated strength is. You know, they think it's a simple term, strength. Well, you have many strengths. Explosive strength, speed, strength, strength, endurance, um, you know, dynamic endurance. You have so many strengths, and, and you have to learn them all, depending on what your sport is. I had the third best Olympic triathlete. A female in America here, so that's a long way from squatting and deadlifting when you're running 13 and a half miles and swimming and all that. And she she constantly made faster progress. So it just um, it just you got to learn all you got to learn it all. It's my job every day. I read every day. I'm 68 years old. I'll never stop learning. When I quit learning, and I'm, I'll shut the gym down. If I got one person to come here, my dream is to get them an Olympic platform if they're in sport or world record if they're in our sport. That's all I care about. I don't care about lesser people. Okay. I think that's it, unless you have anything else to add. Uh -huh. okay. I'd like to thank Brad, thank Louie. Uh, this is the Westside Barbell Podcast, and we'll be back to you next week. This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louie Simmons. WestsideBarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.